This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So we're going to look at options, uh, options and consultations. The things, if you're in debt, what what are you going to choose? How are you going to look at it? All the different options that people have. Uh, And you should consider, there's, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. And the thing is about Blair, which is one of the best things that he's so knowledgeable about the good ones and the ones that people are a little bit prone to use that then find themselves even more of a pickle. So to To start this segment off, let's talk about some of the common options that folks may encounter when they're actually thinking about taking some action to manage their debts and then some of the pros and cons to each. Yes, this is a situation where somebody knows, okay, I'm not comfortable right now. I might be making my minimum payments, but I know I'm not getting out of debt. Or maybe something massive has happened, whether it's a job loss, you know, a marriage breakdown, uh, maybe a sickness of themselves Mm -hmm. or a close family member. So something's happened where they're not in a financially comfortable situation anymore and people start to, you know, look around. Well, what is it that I can do? I've got a bunch of debt. Um, You know, what makes sense? And, you know, in general, we put them in a bit of the order that people will consider these types of options. Okay. And the first thing people often consider is if they're carrying a bunch of debt, you know, maybe it's a store credit card and it's a bank credit card and it's a line of credit and so on and so forth. They try to see, well, can we consolidate this debt? So they go to the bank and they try to get a bank debt consolidation loan. And that's putting all those things into one into one payment, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily um, a smaller amount that you end up paying, or am I wrong about no, that? No, you're completely right. So in a consolidation loan, there's no reduction in your debt. So if you owed $20,000 across four different banks at various different interest rates and due on various different days in the month, what a consolidation loan does is the new bank goes and pays off all of the other debts, and then you have one debt that you're going to pay each month. You're going to pay it on a certain day. It's ideally going to have a lower interest rate. So, okay. you know, a store credit card might be 30%, a payday loan 40%, a credit card 20%. A consolidation loan is usually in the range of 10 to 12%. So it's still not zero, but it could be a significant savings over what you're paying on your other debts. So that sounds kind of attractive to me, but there's some downside to that. Yeah. So the first one, as you alluded to, Elaine, is there's no reduction in your debts. So you still have to repay the debts in full plus interest. And if you can afford it, that's great. But a lot of the times people find that to be a tough situation because the debts have accumulated so far that even paying off a consolidation loan at, again, a reasonable, you know, 10 to 12% interest, that's just not affordable. And you got to qualify for that thing too. It's not like you just get it. Yeah. And that's probably the number one barrier. I think there's very few people that come to see me where I'm the first call they've made. Quite often they've went to the bank first and usually the test for a consolidation loan is, okay, um, you know, do you have any assets? Person asking for the consolidation loan. So you want the bank to go and pay off all these other creditors, but do you have an asset you can pledge to the bank that in the event you default in the consolidation loan, they still have a means to get paid. So sometimes that that's, you know, if you have a house with a whole lot of equity, they'll give you a consolidation loan because they can put a charge in that home. And if you don't pay on the consolidation loan, eventually when you refinance or sell the house, the bank will get all their money back. 
sometimes they'll say, well, you know, you're not a great risk right now, but why don't you get us a cosigner, okay? And then if you get the cosigner there, as long as you make all the payments, the cosigner will never get called. But if it's the case that you can't make a payment, suddenly you've got a friend, a family member, a coworker, whoever you um, got involved in the situation, you've now got to deal with them as well. So be very aware it can be difficult to, cons- to qualify for a consolidation loan and oftentimes adding a cosign or a pledging assets might be the only way to do so, but it might not also be the smartest way to do so. Right, because it's just a huge amount of stress on you again for that. And you're, you're bringing in a person that, that might have offered to help and, and now they're in a, a bad situation because you weren't able to do something. Oh yeah, most of the co-signers I've ever spoken with, they never thought they'd ever have to pay a dime or a dollar on this. They were just doing it, you know, to help somebody out. Theoretically, this might happen. Signature on a document, right? And then when we say, well, if this person does a bankruptcy or a proposal, now the bank's coming to the co-signer for full 100% repayment, that's a pretty shocking thing to have happen. Okay, so the next thing in the the list is credit counseling service. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good idea. Everybody could probably use some credit counseling services. Yeah, and credit counseling can make a whole lot of sense for someone if the debt problem is relatively small, they need a bit of budgetary counseling, um, you know, get a few questions answered, so on and so forth. These are things a trustee would do as well, but a credit counselor is often seen as less intimidating. Uh, a lot of them are branded as, you know, not-for-profit charitable services, um, and they do do some good work in the community. Now, the challenge um, is that the product that a credit counselor can offer, if it's more than just informal um, consultations, giving you some coaching on how you set things up, uh, if it's the case that a credit counselor is actually going to help you repay part of your debt, you've got to be a little bit careful because what a credit counselor can do is they can essentially consolidate some of your debt, but not all of your debt. So a credit counselor is essentially a bank-funded collection agent, and what they can do is they can work with all the other bank debts that you have, the credit cards, um, the, you know, uh, lines of credit and things like that, and they can often negotiate an interest freeze for those banks that are part of the credit counseling network. What they can't do is they can't deal at all with government debt. They can't deal typically with payday loans. Um, there's a bunch of other types of debt that just can't be dealt with as a part of a, con- a credit counseling plan. So you need to be careful that if you're going to uh, go on a credit counseling plan that it's actually going to solve the whole situation. Um, And you need to be also aware that if you do go on a credit counseling plan, it is going to impact your credit, the same as if you had done a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy, which we're going to talk about. But a big difference in a credit counseling plan is you've got to pay everything back in full. So as where we talk in a proposal, or we will talk later, a proposal can discount the debt and save you some money. In a credit counseling plan, you have to pay everything back in full. You might get a break on the interest, but your credit rating does actually take a hit as well. So it may not be the best option. And there's also a fee attached to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So of what you're paying back, a portion of that um, goes to repay the debt. Uh, A portion of it goes to the Credit Counseling Society as a fee as well, or the credit counseling organization. And unlike dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee like Sands & Associates, there's no government body regulating credit counseling qualification fees or if you've got an issue with them, a dispute Mm -hmm. of some sort. So you're you're kind of out there in the wind a bit. Yeah, if you've got, you know, one of your creditors decided to be part of this consolidation plan and then suddenly a few years in, they decide they don't want to be part of it anymore, and they decide they want to sue you, there's nothing that can be done. That person is going to be able to opt out and sue you separately and make your life difficult because if you're not dealing with a trustee, there's no legal protection. It's just based on best efforts and hopefully people keeping up their word. Okay, so let's talk about that, dealing with a trustee like Sands & Associates. Uh, There's a couple of options uh, that... uh, 
if I'm taking action, if, I, if the debt is too much and mm-hmm. we need to take action on it. So the first one is uh, a consumer proposal. And again, it's, it's a new concept for some people. Mm-hmm. It's been around for a while, uh, but, it, but how it's structured is pretty cool. Yeah, so it's the greatest debt relief option that you may never have heard of. And hopefully, let's do this show for years and years. Everyone will have heard of it. But now I still have people coming in saying, oh, my God, how do I not know about this? Yeah. So the way a consumer proposal works is it consolidates all of your debt. So it's similar to the credit counseling plan we talked about, but it's better in that it includes everything. So it includes government debts. It includes income taxes, student loans, um, private loans, payday loans. Any debt that you have just about can be part of a consumer proposal consolidation. And what's a big difference is that a consumer proposal, it actually reduces the amount that you have to repay. So for every consumer proposal, a trustee has to sit down and do an analysis. The analysis is, if this person were to file for bankruptcy, what would happen? And oftentimes, if someone doesn't have a whole lot of assets, they're making you know reasonable money, but not, not rich by any means. If they file for bankruptcy, odds are the debts are not going to get repaid at all. It might be a 0% recovery or a 10% recovery. If we offer a consumer proposal for a 20 or a 30%, somewhere in that range recovery, Almost every time, the creditors will say, yes, we'd rather get something instead of nothing or more rather than less. So a consumer proposal is meant to be the compromise between your creditors wanting all their money back, you not being able to pay everything that they want back, but you making an offer for what you can afford. So it can be an amazing situation, get people back on track. It's not a bankruptcy and it's only available through a licensed insolvency trustee. And it can pay, I like this part too, that it can be paid off in full mm-hmm. if that if that happens to be your circumstance also. Yeah, exactly. Without penalty is the key, I guess. That's right. So yeah. if you're doing a consumer proposal and it's for payments over three years and, you know, suddenly something great happens, you get a bonus, you get a raise, um, you know, some, some money comes your way, you can pay the proposal off more quickly, start to put it in the rear view mirror. Um, again, no interest, no penalty. You just pay off that reduced amount. So if it's the case you were thinking of getting family members to help you by paying off your debt and then, you know, pay back the family members, I've seen situations again and again where it's so much better for an individual to do a consumer proposal, reduce the total amount of the debt, and then get their family members to help them pay it off. So if family members are paying off, you know, 30% of the total rather than 100% of the total, still achieving the same outcome of helping their family member become debt-free. That's a a really good way of looking at it, too. I hadn't thought about that part of it. What about your credit history with a consumer proposal? What's the hit there? Yeah, so they've recently updated the guidance. So from the day that you sign a consumer proposal, it's going to clear six years from that day. So most proposals run for three to four or five years. Um, So they're going to clear six years from the day that you sign. Or if you pay it off more quickly, it's two to three years from the day you pay it off. So if it's a very lump sum proposal, it's in and out of your credit in the space of two or three years. Um, If it's going to run for the full term, the maximum time it would be on there is for six years. Okay. And then the other option that only a licensed insolvency trustee can uh, help you structure and get you through is a personal bankruptcy. Yeah. So personal bankruptcy is a situation where you throw up your hands and you say, you know what, I can't even afford to do a 20 to 40% repayment, um, but I need help. The debt's are so significant that I just can't face them and things are happening, you know, maybe I'm being sued, wages taken and things like that. A personal bankruptcy allows you to start back at zero. The amount you have to pay are 100% set by your income. So it could be a million dollars of debt or a few thousand dollars of debt. What the person has to repay depends on how well or not well they're doing at that specific moment. So bankruptcy for most people, it's over in nine months. Uh, For most people, it costs them about $1,800, which is split into $200 a month over those nine months. 
but there's a huge amount of aspects and complexity. It's not something we go into as a first objective, but for many people, probably, you know, about a third of individuals in BC who see a trustee, two thirds will do a proposal, about a third will end up doing a bankruptcy. Okay. And because we asked the question with the consumer proposal, what about your credit history? Yeah, it's a little bit more severe. So a bankruptcy uh, reports as an R9, where R1 is perfect credit. So a bankruptcy is a little more severe than a consumer proposal would be. Um, and a bankruptcy clears six years after your discharge date. So if a bankruptcy was nine months, it's going to clear six years plus those nine months. It's not that different from a consumer proposal being clear. It's not a black and white difference, but it is more significantly bad. It is slightly worse, sorry. Right. More, it is worse for you than a, a consumer proposal would be. Okay, so anything else that we should keep in mind when we're kind of considering or evaluating each of those that you want to add as we sort of wind down this segment? Yeah, you know, I think just from a comfort perspective, you want to make sure whoever you're dealing with is licensed and regulated. Um, Debt matters are regulated by the federal government. There are no credit counselors that are regulated by the federal government. The only professional that is regulated is a licensed insolvency trustee. So if you come to an LIT, you know you're in the right spot to get the best advice. Here's the 1-800 number for Sands & Associates, 666. One thirty thirty. Go to their website, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Debt trouble ahead. So this is all about learning the warning signs. And I, I sort of vacillate between, should you know, shouldn't you sort of know, aren't are these warning signs pretty clear for people? But they're, but they're not. And I bet you figure, I bet you guys talk to people all the time that said, man, I didn't see this. I didn't see this. I didn't realize until I got to this point. You know, absolutely, Elaine. I think some of them are a little bit on, on the obvious side, we'll say, but others, I hear people just in regular conversations I overhear say, hey, I'm making my minimum payments. I'm just fine. Well, not to give away the suspense, that's the number two warning sign we're going to talk about making your minimum yeah. payments. You're not just fine. You're putting yourself in debt for probably the rest of your life here. So yeah, yeah, I think there will be some insight for folks, even again, some, how could you not know? Okay, I get that. But others, okay, well, yeah, I didn't realize that was a warning sign. Yeah. So let's talk about them. Uh, the, the similar warning signs that not just one person, but that the people who you talk to on a regular basis are are missing or don't catch on as quickly as they possibly could. Yeah, so the number one, uh, first one for us to talk about today is the idea of avoiding your financial situation. So a lot of times when people come in to see me, they bring a stack, I guess they used to bring a stack of unopened mail uh, because they're just scared. They're scared of what's going to be in there. They know every month the balance is going to be higher and higher. And if they stop making their payments, they know it's not going to be anything happy when they open the mail. So they just started to avoid it. Um, sometimes they're guessing on their balances, they're ignoring the correspondence, um, or you know they're just blocking numbers, screening calls, all of that. So avoidance is never a long-term strategy. Um, you know, yeah, you can probably prevent people from reaching you to try to collect on a debt, uh, but that doesn't stop the debt from continuing to grow and from you potentially having to take action in the future. And one big way this can come home to roost is if you avoid filing your tax return because you know you owe the government money, uh, the longer you avoid it, the more likely Canada Revenue Agency is going to take some very significant steps, like going to your employer and seizing your wages, going to your bank and freezing your bank account. You know, owing them money is not the worst thing, but avoiding your obligation of filing your tax return each year, that is the worst possible thing you can be doing uh, if you're dealing with Canada Revenue Agency. 
Uh, you know, one last point just on the idea of avoidance is the idea of not sharing your financial situation, either with your spouse or with the closest people in your life who might be able to offer empathy, support, might be able to advise you of some solutions you weren't aware of. Maybe one of them is a listener to this show. It can say, hey, tune into CKNW to Dollars and Cents. You'll learn something about what you can do with your debt. So don't be afraid to share your debt problem. You can often find a lot of good support and assistance with the people that do care about you. Let's go back to that one that you you just mentioned at the start of this segment about make only making the minimum payments. So this is something that more and more people are realizing that making minimum payments is a recipe for the bank to make a ton of money on interest because, you know, my gosh, they're going to get 20 to 30 percent back each year on the debt balance. You know, we wish we could invest and earn that. Uh, but it's not a recipe for you really to ever get out of debt. And for 60 percent of people who filed a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal in the past year, they recognized that they were in trouble because they were only able to make their minimum payments. Um, they looked at their statements. They saw that disclosure, which sometimes it's on the front page. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to find. Uh, but it tells them, you know, for this uh, few thousand dollars of debt, for example, it's a 20-year payment plan. For this $20,000 of debt, they won't survive long enough to pay all this off if they're only making the minimum payments. So it's a little bit different from bank to bank how minimum payments are calculated. But at one of the major banks that I deal with personally, I looked at my statement and I couldn't believe it when they say the minimum payment, it's the interest, it's the taxes and the fees plus $10. So the interest, taxes, and fees recur every month. You're telling me $10 of what I pay is what's going to actually reduce the amount that I owe? Yeah, $10 on maybe a $200 payment. So it's definitely something, if you're only making your minimum payments, that's a huge warning sign that your financial health is not strong, and you're probably just delaying to the point uh, where you should be restructuring your debts. I want to throw in here the website, your website, sands-trustee.com, or you can give them a call at Sands & Associates, 1-800-661-3030. And do you want to mention that rule of 60? Because I think that's a really good sort of thing that anybody can sort of sit down and do easily and go, oh, yikes, I need to take some action here. Yeah, that's a great point, Elaine. So it's really quick math. You know, if you've got uh, a certain debt balance, but you're wondering, hey, do I really have an issue or not? I'd say take your total debt, let's say it's $10,000, for example, and divide it by 60 months. So forget about the the interest or anything else. So 10000 divided by 60, that's about $166 a month. Um, could you afford to make that payment? If yes, okay, so you're probably in a situation where you still can get on top of this debt. Uh, if you just start making that extra payment each month, um, you'll be able to, to draw the balance down. But if it's the case, it's twenty or $30,000, you know, dividing $30,000 by 60 months, that's $500 a month. And if you're struggling to make all your minimum payments, which are less than $500, and you know that you're not going to be able to increase that amount, that's a big warning sign that when you divide the debt balance by 60, if that's a monthly payment, that's unaffordable, you definitely need to be investigating some professional options to help you with your debts. I think number three on your list uh, for the warning sign is something that a lot of people uh, must do in the hopes of trying to figure it out themselves. Yeah, this is the idea of adding to your debt. So uh, it's really important if you find yourself in a debt situation that you understand, you know, every month, am I going deeper and deeper in debt? Is it just the interest that's snowballing? And quite often, you need to look closely at your credit use habits and say, are you relying on your credit every month to bridge the gap between the cost of living and your income? Uh, If that's the case, then you know on a long-term basis your debts are just going to keep escalating because we don't expect the cost of living are going to go down. And unless you're going to be able to increase your income, 
It's a big warning sign um, that you're relying, again, on credit to bridge that gap between your expenses and your income. It's a really tough thing uh, for you to do on a long-term basis because eventually all of your accounts will be maxed out. There'll be nobody else to borrow from. And then often people will start to go, uh, you know, the really destructive forms of financing, something like a payday loans or, uh, you know, an instant auto loan where you give title to your car. So you start to go to these places with higher interest because they're the only ones left that will, will loan you money once your other accounts are maxed out. So just be very careful if when you look at your budget every month, um, credit is the part that's filling the gap because on a long-term basis, um, there's going to be a reckoning. I'm glad you mentioned budget uh, because I, I bet at the end of the month, if you have a budget, if you're following one and, it, and things aren't adding up, that must be one of the warning signs too. Yeah, having an unbalanced budget. So most of the time when people come in to see us, they haven't kept a budget for for quite some time, but some people have, you know, they've been quite, um, you know, on top of things, tracking all their expenses and their income. And they've just said, well, you know, on a monthly basis, I seem to be short every month. Or what I find in my budget is I'm able to meet my immediate expenses, but I've got no ability to save for my regular expenses, like, you know, the car service a couple uh, a couple times a year or, the, you know, the kids' dental bills or something like that. Um, and if it's the case that your budget is just stretched just with your immediate things, but you can't handle any of the irregular expenses that happen periodically through the year and you need to, to, to budget for, um, or if you've got no ability to put away any savings, it's giving you an idea that you're operating too close to the knife's edge. You're operating with no safety net. You've got no emergency fund to put away. So having a budget that either doesn't balance or is just so stretched, uh, it can be a really big warning sign that your financial situation is at risk. And if, and if you've got all that going on, you just must feel so unbelievably stressed about it. Yeah, just about everybody that I meet with, they don't take their debt situation lightly at all. It's quite the opposite. You know, three and four people that we deal with, uh, debt stress drove them towards anxiety or depression. Uh, two-thirds of people said their self-esteem suffered from being in debt. Uh, relationships were negatively impacted. Even one in six people become suicidal because they just feel hopeless about their debt situation. So the last warning sign today uh, is being debt stressed. So if you feel you have a debt problem, if you're stressed about your finances, you should trust that impulse you probably do and your stress is probably well founded so if you're constantly worrying about your debts if you're scared or anxious about your situation you're avoiding the information avoiding opening either the electronic or the printed statements or you're feeling desperate hopeless or helpless those are all situations that can be just so destructive if you allow allow yourself to sit there so you've got to reach out understand what the options are for help just about everybody that we sit down with they leave even just the first meeting saying i had no idea the rules of to me this way. I had no idea I can turn things around. And for two-thirds of people that we see, they don't even need to file a bankruptcy. They can file a proposal instead, get things back on track without having to go bankrupt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. Give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, make sure you check out the website, sands-trustee.com or Give them a call, 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. So this segment is all about consumer proposals and the myths Mm -hmm. and the myths that come along with them. Um, Because there are some. There's some stuff that people don't understand. I mean, I still don't understand all of it, and Mm -hmm. we've been 
talking about it for a while. So I think this is great that we're doing this segment. Yeah, and, and Elaine, I often you know joke a little bit. It's only a half joke. You know, my life's work right now is making people aware of this option because the people that need to know about it most are typically the people that have no idea that this even exists. And sometimes people have a bit of an inkling. Oh, I've heard about this proposal thing, but you know what? That just couldn't apply to my circumstance. So they don't you know investigate it any further. Right. So I think today's discussion. Let's hit it. You know, I think there's about five key myths that people tend to have, and maybe there's others our listeners will tell us about. But I think this will go a long way to kind of filling in the detail about you know what is this thing called a proposal. Um, and how could it potentially help me get out of debt without going into a bankruptcy? Okay, let's start. Let's start at the start. Mm-hmm. Let's start at the beginning. Um, let, I'll let you explain what a consumer proposal is. Yeah, so in the simplest terms, Elaine, a consumer proposal, it's a legal consolidation arrangement. So it's where you put all of your debts together, but two big differences from a regular debt consolidation. You know, one is you don't have to pay back the full amount of the debt. So we figure out as a trustee, we sit down and we say, well, what can you reasonably afford to pay back? And it's got to be something, you know, reasonable to the creditors as well. But, you know, often it's 20% of the debt, 30%, maybe half, you know, if you've got some pretty good income, but very rarely is it close to the full amount of the debt. So it's a consolidation where you pay back what you can afford on the debt. And then the second really important thing is, you know, you don't pay a reduced interest rate. You don't pay, you know, a prime plus whatever interest rate. You literally pay zero interest rate. So most people, when they come in to see me, the thing that really riles them every month is just seeing, oh my God, another 20% of interest annually was added to my debts. Like right. I feel like I'm just treading water. I'm paying $200 down and $190 is just going to interest. It's going to be there the next month. So once you file a consumer proposal, the target stops moving away from you. The interest stops getting added and the target is a lot closer to begin with because it's something you can actually afford to pay off. Yeah. So to give, you know, a real life example yes, for our, for our listeners that. here, you know, and these are numbers I see every day of the week here at Sands and Associates, you know, someone owing $20,000 of debt, which sounds like a lot, but it's not that difficult to end up in that situation if a couple of tough things happen to you. But someone at $20,000 of debt, if they were to offer a consumer proposal um, to repay about 30% of that debt or about $6,000, that's generally going to be accepted. And that works out to a monthly payment of $165 a month over 36 months. And that doesn't include any of the interest. If the interest thing is the thing that bugs you the most about it, it doesn't. It, it's not. It's it's not a part of that. Well, and what's interesting here, Elaine, too, is if you were actually look at what's the minimum payment this person's making each month and how much interest are they paying, the whole proposal cost is less than the interest on the debts. So really, it's something that the person can typically afford. It gives them, you know, a sense of pride too, saying, you know what, I, I stared down this debt problem and I didn't go bankrupt. I did what I could to pay back what I could afford. And if you're thinking, oh, you know what, that just sounds. Far too good to be mm-hmm. true. Yeah. And you run into that all the time. Oh, yeah. And, and typically, as anyone who listens to this show knows, I'm a deep skeptic about things that are offered. I want, you know, show me the proofs in the pudding. And, you know, the proof in the pudding is that there's about 60,000, 70,000 consumer proposals every year in Canada that are filed, that are accepted by creditors. They're legitimate. Um, there's nothing too good to be true. Even though they seem that way, they are codified in federal law. It's an option. You don't know about it because essentially your creditors don't want you to know about it. Yes. Okay, so consumer proposal, and then there's bankruptcy. Yeah. Are they, how similar are they well, or that's, how that's, different are they? That's the first myth. And, you know, sometimes people come in and say, oh, I've heard about this proposal thing. That's just the same as bankruptcy, isn't it? Well, the answer is no. So first off, it's absolutely not a bankruptcy. The legal state of bankruptcy is something very defined in legislation, and this is not that. So if you do a consumer proposal, and if you're asked later on in life, have you ever filed a personal bankruptcy? You answer no to that question 10 out of 10 times. You absolutely did not. Now, where there are some similarities is both of these proceedings, they're only a 
available through a licensed insolvency trustee, which is ourselves here at Sands & Associates. Pre- previous to a couple of years ago, licensed insolvency trustees were called bankruptcy trustees. So when someone is speaking kind of quickly saying, oh, you did a proposal with a bankruptcy trustee, it must be a bankruptcy. It's not. A consumer proposal doesn't reflect as a bankruptcy. It doesn't last as long on your credit. It's not as severe. Um, as a bankruptcy would be. And that's the other thing I want to make sure that that, y- that we add, that only licensed insolvency mm-hmm. trustees can do this work. Yeah. I have people, Nobody else can. I have people coming in sometimes telling me they're already in a consumer proposal. And I'm like, well, that's surprising. What trustee are you working with? Oh, it's this credit counselor I speak to on the phone. I'm like, well, you're not in a consumer proposal. I've seen that term co-opted a couple of times over, unfortunately. Unless you're dealing with a trustee, um, you don't have a consumer proposal, unfortunately. Now, you also included that lots of folks are afraid of bankruptcy because they think they're going to lose everything. Yeah. And that the process that you read about it in the newspaper or in the back yeah. in the ads or the, you know, the old want ad section, so-and-so mm-hmm. declares declared bankruptcy. Yeah, so there's an element of truth to that. You know, it's maybe 1% of bankruptcy cases have to go in the newspaper, so almost all of them don't, but it's 0% of consumer proposals. So there's never a consumer proposal that's going to get publicized in the newspaper. Uh, what people are really scared about about in bankruptcy quite often is that they're going to lose everything. You know, they think they're going to lose all of their assets. And most of the time they don't, as anyone who's listened to the show for a while knows, most people who go through bankruptcy keep what little things they had to begin with. But there are some things that they might lose. You know, if they had an RRSP for their child, for example, there's no exemption for that. If you go into bankruptcy, you would tend to lose that RESP. But if you do a consumer proposal, you're able to keep all of your assets. So a consumer proposal can typically allow you to preserve things that you might have to lose if you filed for bankruptcy. Okay. Um, what about length of time that it takes to either do or to, or to live through? Mm-hmm. And what's it going to cost me? Yeah. So these are all good questions. So in terms of the length of time, so I've seen some misinformation online saying, you know, proposals take at least five years to complete. And it's kind of the opposite of that. There's a maximum term of five years on a consumer proposal. So the way a consumer proposal works is we sit down and we think about, okay, what can you reasonably afford to pay off on the debt? We look at the budget and find something that fits. And then we have to figure out what's an acceptable return to your creditors. You know, usually in the range of 20 to 40% of the debt is pretty good. And then we divide that over monthly payments. So if we said, you know, on the $20,000 example, we can reduce that down to $6,000. You know, the maximum term on that is five years. So you could do $100 a month over 60 months if you wanted to. In my client's case, they wanted to do it a little bit more quickly. So they did $165 a month over 36 months. So the benefit with a proposal is you can actually pay it off as quick as you're able to. So there's no minimum term on a proposal. Um, If things go great, you get, you know, a bonus at work or extra raise or things like that, make extra payments on the proposal and get it put behind you, but the maximum term it could ever be is five years. Okay, and is there a sort of is there an average that you have in your knowledge, your experience? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely about twenty four to forty eight months is, okay. is definitely the sweet spot. So you know, a lot of people, even if they file a proposal, thinking it's going to take them sixty months, suddenly when they've got you know a lot more hope on dealing with their debts, they pay sure. things off far more quickly than okay. that. Most filings are in there about you know the three to four year range. Now you also asked me about costs, Elaine, yeah, and this yeah. is something I'm thrilled to talk about because again, if you look online, sometimes you'll see some misinformation saying that there's some upfront costs to file a proposal. You know, a trustee wants certain amounts deposited before they'll even look at you. 
And that's just not true. Okay, so, so how does it work? Yeah, so what, what happens in a proposal is when we figure out what you can afford to pay back, the trustee gets paid out of that amount. So if it was the $20,000 debt that we're going to do a proposal down to $6,000, that's all the person's going to pay back is the $6,000. They're not going to pay a penny extra for the trustee. What happens out of that money is the trustee gets paid for trustee fees. There's some counseling sessions that need to be attended, so those are paid for as well. But there's never a separate charge that the person is given. Um, so whatever the monthly payment is the person can afford, one way to look at it is that actually the credit are paying the trustees cost before they get any money they've got to pay the trustees fees to basically hold on to the money and disperse it to them okay. in terms of upfront costs uh, we file a ton of proposals every week at Sands and Associates quite often people will make the first monthly payments you know maybe $165 or $100 in those examples or if someone's had their wages taken they've been garnished they just don't have the money we'll often file the proposals with nothing down and then once we have the deal approved the person will just continue to make those payments but there's no large barrier to trying this out you know you're Worst exposure typically is just one month's payment, which might be a couple hundred dollars. Okay, so it stay if it if it's twenty thousand dollars and you negotiate at one hundred and sixty five dollars, then it stays that. Yeah, and you guys get paid. You get paid out of that, exactly. and all the fees and all that stuff. So it really there's it's a no brainer. I would think from a consumer point of view, if they're waiting, you know, for the other shoe to drop, the invoice for the from the trustee, they're going to be waiting a whole long time. Um, there's going to be nothing separate the trustee ever charges. The whole point is to solve the problem, not to hit you with some you know mysterious charges that you weren't aware of until later on. Right, or yeah, uh, yeah, those the crazy charges that we know that yeah. does happen with with other ways of of dealing with debt. Hmm. Um, did you want to? talk about the consolidating your debts with the proposal saves you both on the short term and the long term? Uh, well, let's talk about the types of debts that we can do. Okay. I think that's a really big question that people have um, is because, you know, a lot of the times if people are dealing with certain debts, they tend to draw a box around things like, you know, tax debt um, or student loans, specifically amounts owing to the government, um, because typically there's nothing you can do about those unless you're working with the trustee. So when I have people come in and sit down with me and they tell me all about their credit cards and somebody's in the last five minutes of the meeting, I'm saying, oh, you updating your taxes? Oh, yeah, I filed five years worth and I owe them 10 grand also. I got to deal with this first so that I can pay the government government off. And then I stopped the me. I'm like, no, what we're going to do is solve everything. We can roll the tax debt in. We can roll student loan debt in. Everything can be basically included in a, in a consumer proposal. Now, there's some exceptions, things, you know, like child support, spousal support, the things that you should never be able to reduce anyway, they can't be included. But just about any other consumer debt can be compromised as part of a consumer proposal. So two things I want to make sure that, that we mention. Mm -hmm. uh, one, that you're a licensed insolvency trustee is the only one that can negotiate that. Mm -hmm. What you're dealing with all the the government stuff, and um, and if I have uh, child payments etc. that need to be paid, that gets that gets um, included in the sense that you know about it. So you exactly. help figure out what the best total is. Yeah, so that's a great point, Elaine. If we're looking at someone who ostensibly their income is $4,000, but they've got to pay $1,500 in child support, I deduct that right off the top before I even look at what their budget is for debt repayment. We're looking at you know a $2,500 budget after support as opposed to a $4,000 budget. So it is taken into account for sure. Absolutely. So the other thing is that uh, consumer proposals are not the same as credit counseling programs. And you talked a little bit about that. Yeah. And the other thing I want to make sure, because we just have about a minute left in yeah, this there's segment. there's so much to talk about there this is, stuff, you know. About yeah. ruining my credit. Can you kind yeah. of boil that down for us? Yeah, I think the simplest way to, to look at it is anytime you take any steps to restructure your debts that result in you not paying the debts off in full, your credit's going to take a pretty significant hit. 
Now, it's nothing you're not going to recover from. And one thing to keep in mind is a consumer proposal, it's not as severe as a bankruptcy, but it actually hurts your credit the exact same as if you just negotiated through a credit counselor and interest freeze. So you paying back all of your debts in full but getting the interest frozen, that gives you an R7 on your credit rating. You paying back the part of the debt you can afford on a consumer proposal, that's also an R7 on your credit rating. You can generally rebuild within a couple years of a consumer proposal. I know we're going to talk about that in future segments, but don't let the credit rating be a barrier to you taking action. In any event, you're going to help me figure all of that out when of I come course. and see you. Yes. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Mistakes. We're going to talk about mistakes that you, you shouldn't make or try not to make in dealing with your debts. Uh, we talk, you know, we talk so much about taking proactive measures to getting out of debt, and it's really important to do that. But there's lots of things that we think we're doing the right thing, and ultimately they cause more problems in, in just trying to get debt free. So let's talk about um, the things that we really need to, need to be um, aware of so that we don't do it when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thrilled about today's segment of length. This is a lot of wisdom that clients share with us saying, you know, I wish I hadn't done this or I tried this. It really didn't help me at the end. And sometimes it just extends the amount of time that people are suffering. Uh, you know, the first thing, and I think we're going to go through about five of them today, or at least four here. Uh, the first thing is taking on more debt. And this intuitively makes sense. You know, if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you do is stop digging. But just about everybody that I sit down with, the first thing they try to do to solve their financial problem is to go and borrow more money. They try to consolidate their debt. They sit down with their bank, for example. But this can lead to a number of issues. You know, first off, most people don't get a, don't get approved for consolidation loans unless they've got some assets they need to pledge or really high income. And oftentimes, those aren't the folks that really need the help. So when you need the consolidation loan, you often can't qualify. But even if you do qualify for the consolidation loan, a lot of times what I've seen is people consolidate all their debt. The credit cards get back to zero. The consolidation loan balance is there. But they haven't dealt with the underlying issue. So they're forced to rely on that credit again. And the credit cards go back up. So now they've got a consolidation loan and they've got a similar credit card balance than before because they didn't actually deal with the issue, which might have been their cost of living have escalated. Their income has decreased. There's some financial shock that without them doing a very detailed budget. They don't see what the leakage is on a monthly basis. Um, Mm. Sometimes as well, people are able to consolidate, but it's still unaffordable. You're still paying off all of the debt and paying some interest on top of that. So you might have saved a little bit on the interest payment, uh, but you still might not be in a situation where you're actually solving the problem. You could be going further into debt on a monthly basis. Uh, you know, a couple other ways people try to borrow, and these just kind of get, get worse and worse. So consolidation loans, not always bad, but be careful. Uh, automobile collateral loans, uh, I've seen these go very bad. And what this is, is you go typically to a short-term lender, maybe a payday lender, for example, and they say, hey, you know, we can give you a better rate if you give us security over your car. And you maybe you read all the fine print or you don't, but a lot of people don't realize that if you miss payments, even if you catch them up, um, they can come and seize your car very quickly and then put you on the hook for storage costs, uh, which could be, you know, 30 to 50 30 to $50 a day sometimes, um, even if you make the payments late, you still made the payments, the terms can be such they can seize the car because you made a number of payments late. 
Um, typically, you're going to pay interest rates still in the range of 20 to 30 percent. So not cheap financing. Uh, and the folks I've had in my office, you know, oftentimes in tears, saying my car's at this storage lot. They won't give it back until I pay off the loan in full. I can't pay off the loan in full. And every day they're charging me this 30 to 50 dollars storage fee. So. Boy. Be very careful if you're pledging assets. Almost always it's a bad idea uh, with respect to these loans here. And, you know, along that scale of kind of good, bad, and the absolute worst uh, is the idea of payday loans. So we talk a lot about payday loans, about just the incredibly high interest and fees, sometimes over 500% when you add everything up, um, and it breeds a vicious cycle. So uh, one client who, who's now featuring in some of our, our testimonials on TV, he said, you know, payday loans are supposed to be, you know, just a once in a while type of thing. He would do them literally every single payday. And I see that again and again. When someone's got one payday lender, they've typically got another five or even another 10 there that they're shuffling money around with. So be very careful trying to borrow your way out of the situation. Almost always a bad decision that leads to worse outcomes. Yeah, and that can, I, I bet that includes uh, going to family or friends who would love to help you and jump on the bandwagon to help you, but so not always a good idea. Yeah. So, you know, whether you're borrowing or you're getting advice, you know, just make sure eyes are wide open. So, you know, first off, if you're getting advice from family or friends, you know, make sure they know what they're talking about. Even accountants, lawyers, uh, folks who aren't skilled in insolvency, they might give you a false sense of, you know, they know what they're talking about and telling you, well, you're doing the right thing. and There's nothing else that can be done because they don't understand about bankruptcies or consumer proposals. So be a bit careful with getting advice. But where this often really impacts people is where they get somebody to co-sign their debts. Maybe that can consolidation loan, the bank wouldn't approve them by themselves. But if mom or dad, brother, sister, or whoever signs on as a co-signer, the bank suddenly will approve them. Now, what that means is if it gets to a point where the person isn't able to pay that consolidation loan, eventually has to restructure their debts using either a bankruptcy or a proposal, it's so much more painful because if somebody's co-signed that debt, it's what's called joint and several liability, which means that person is on the hook for 100% of the unpaid balance. So, you know, it's one thing to let down, you know, MasterCard, Visa, American Express, they took a risk. But the person that co-signed for your debt to try to help you get out of debt, uh, you know, are you okay letting them down as well? Because you don't have the option of just continuing to pay that debt. If you do a bankruptcy or a proposal, you have to deal with all of the debts at once. And that can put your co-signer into a, into a negative situation. So suddenly it's a whole lot more emotional, a whole lot more difficult. You've got relationships at stake here when you've brought somebody in to co-sign or you've borrowed from them. So be very careful relying on friends and family for either money or advice. I just want to throw in here the, the website again, sands-trustee.com, if you want to take some action and dive a little deeper on these ideas. Uh, and the phone number as well is 1-800-661-3030. I bet lots of people think about their RRSPs, hey, in a situation like this. Well, Elaine, I hope it's fewer and fewer actually take the step of cashing in RRSPs, but absolutely, a lot of people still do this. They still think, oh my gosh, I've got so much debt, my retirement could be seized anyway, so let me just be proactive, let me be in control. Um, I'm going to cash in my RRSPs to pay off my debt, and gee, I won't have RRSPs, but at least I won't have debt anymore, okay? So logically, I understand the thinking, but the fact that's missing there is understanding that RRSPs are a federally protected asset. So the same way, no one could come and take your company pension plan if you had one. No one can pursue you in court. Even if you go through a bankruptcy, no one can force you to cash in your RRSPs. 
Uh, you could have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and hundreds of thousands of dollars in an RRSP. And if you went through an insolvency proceeding, you could keep all of those RRSPs for your future retirement. The only exception is if you've made a bunch of contributions in the year prior to filing a bankruptcy or a proposal, those contributions have to get paid back. But most of the time when people find themselves in debt, they're not contributing to their RRSPs anymore. Um, so generally, the amounts that they have in there are going to be free and clear. Now, what you also need to understand is if you do cash in your RRSPs, it's often not enough to solve the problem, first off. So you're still going to have some debt. Even if it is, what happens is that you're not going to get what you anticipate when you withdraw the RRSPs. So there's going to be withholding tax. And even then, that withholding tax often isn't all that you owe the government. So depending on the tax bracket, you know, 30 to 50 percent of what you withdraw from RRSPs could be lost right off the top to taxes. And if you haven't planned for that, you might have, again, a tax liability in the following year that then compels you to need to take bigger action on your debts. So I've never seen a situation where it's a good idea to cash in RRSPs to pay debt. Always happy to learn. But in most cases here, it's a bad idea. Um, you mentioned this earlier about taking advice from the wrong people. And we're inundated with uh, commercials telling us about, uh, you know, debt counseling and, and all those kinds of organizations. And, and they're not necessarily the best ones to take advice from. Yeah, you need to be very careful. You know, if there's claims that seem too good to be true, we can repair your credit overnight, for example. Um, you know, even some advisors or credit counselors that are branded as a not-for-profit service, they're 100% funded by the lenders. And essentially, they're a collection agent, just wearing a much nicer, um, you know, means of, of dealing with you. But still, their job is to get the money back and not to help you explore other alternatives. So make sure you're taking advice from a licensed insolvency trustee. They're independent, uh, federally licensed um uh, trustees that are able to assist you with understanding your legal options, and you should never pay for that advice. So if someone's saying, you know, you need me to represent you in this bankruptcy or proposal proceeding, and sometimes people pay three to $4,000 for that, you don't need to pay anything to meet with a trustee or to start a filing. There's nothing extra that you need to pay above and beyond what the government has established, either in a proposal or a bankruptcy. So just be careful, take advice from the right people, and don't think that you need to pay to get that advice. You absolutely do not. And if you want more information before taking some steps or just going through this information again, nice and easy to do, the website is so great because it's just filled with good, good questions and answers, easy to understand, and it'll really give you a, a great uh, idea as to you know, where you fit in, sans-trustee.com, or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030, 1-800-661-3030. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.